the management business isn't business. It's very personal. It is very, very personal to be a manager because if you don't care about your client and their goals and their success, you're not going to want to get up every day and and take the crazy requests, the ridiculousness, the days that they don't have it in them. And you have to like shake them up to get something done for them to make content from the stupidest thing to the biggest thing. Oh, Lord, Jason made another one. What's up, y'all? I'm your host, Brandon Jinx Jenkins, and welcome back to another episode of the Rap Caviar Podcast. This week, we're talking with some of hip-hop's most wanted managers, Amber Grimes, James Roseman, and Steve Carlis. We're diving to how the role has changed, what it takes to do the job well, and how central managers have become to the rap ecosystem. I think management is a thing that everyone thinks they know what it is, and they don't really know what it is. So to kick things off... I want to start with Amber, then go to Steve, and then go to James. Um, just give me a little bit about um, who your clients are and sort of like how you describe your role working with them. Yeah. Hi, Jake. What's up? Um, <laughs> so uh, I am a partner in uh, Love Renaissance Management, a newly formed part of LVRN Love Renaissance um, as it's also a record label. Um, I came over about a year and a half ago and, you know, we managed Division, West Side Boogie, Black, um, Baby Tate, uh, <laughs> like Spinall, DeVito, and like the list goes on. We have a lot of artists, North Ave Jacks, like don't let me forget anybody. But when I came in, uh, I personally wanted to bring uh, Baby Tate in for management as my client um, who I would like to look after, um, literally because management, I've gone in and out of it in my career. That's what I started doing, managing producers and artists. And I quickly was like, nope, let me get out of that. I don't like that. <laughs> but now, um, you know, with a totally different, you know, skill set and experience level after what, like 12, 13 years in the game, I find myself back in this position of management because I really get it now. So I appreciate you saying that. Like a lot of people think they know what management is. I didn't know when I was just trying it out before, I was just trying to be of service to the client, you know, almost acting like a glorified assistant. Mm. Now what management is for me on this level is really understanding or helping discover the artist brand and really helping them make decisions that grow their brand awareness, get them to where they want to go. Like literally we're seeing people now that are recording songs in their bedroom and then they're superstars and it's like night and day. And when you don't have that guidance or someone to explain things to you, someone to say this decision is right or that decision is not right for your brand. You see people in between make a lot of mistakes mm. and you know, there's artists that want to be artists, but they've been told to act more like influencers. So then people don't respect their art or, you know, they're just not making enough content or the right content or, or just doing brand deals that make no sense for their brand. You know, everybody doesn't need a meal at McDonald's, no tea, no shade. So it, it's really about helping the artists navigate their career, not just doing things for them. And that's that's why I'm excited to work with Tate and excited to do management now on this level, um, because I, I really have my feet wet on the navigation part. Damn, I love that. Um, Steve, we want to get to you. Oh, man, um, I echo a lot of, of, of Amber's sentiments, you know, um, I've been a manager across many years now, almost a decade, but more prominently and most, most recently, I'm still overseeing um, the music portion of the Nipsey Hustle Estate. Mm. And that part is, albeit a bittersweet 
um, role, but in, the, in in this new era where we're going, the brand influence that we've been able to build from day one has really been a piece of a piece of the job that I never understood before, right? And I think that what you contribute and what we look at ourselves is when we call ourselves managers, really, we're just what Amber said, we're just stewarding brands and, and humans and learning them and trying to make sure they evolve to be the best they can be. So, you know, my experience is, is it's, it's all in one and all in nothing at the same time because there's really no true definition of what it is because you are everything in this ecosystem of what the world of the artist is. Mm. And James, how about you? No, definitely appreciate you guys having me. You know, I got Ice Spice and I think Amber hit it on the head, right? I think it's it's really, we're managing brands here, right? And at the end of the day, I think it's, it's about, I think today management is about partnership, partnering with an artist in a 360 kind of way, right? Like they have dreams, facilitating those dreams, but also navigating that through the market, letting them know the pros and cons and letting them understand the market. So they're educated and they know that they have the tools and resources. So as managers, we are partners that empower them, but um, also giving them the tools and resources, you know, and, and allowing them to really shine and be positioned. You know, it's interesting. Um, I don't know what my expectation was for the first answer, but I noticed you all have talked about your artists as brands. And I don't know if I don't know if that's relatively new language, right? Like, I don't know if 20 years ago, the managers who were around were thinking of their artists necessarily as brands, right? Like maybe it's not day-to-day activities or managing your schedule top to bottom. You're all looking at them sort of like micro corporations, it sounds like. Absolutely. I value myself as the president of my artist brand, right? Because we're looking at the runways, the opportunities, where the scale is, new business development, and obviously covering all the basic steps that we need to do to ensure that they stay current in today's marketplace, right? So it's definitely looking like that. And, you know, I think us, I hope all would agree, I won't speak for them, but it's really about us putting infrastructure and process and program around our clients and ensuring that they are scaling and doing the the absolute most they can do that's true and authentic to them, right? And I think that's important because that's where we want to see the fruit of our work kind of play out. Yeah. James, can I brag on your artist real quick? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So, James, I'm glad you asked that, right? Is it new? Like, no, but... I think the way that the music industry is changing right now with it being oversaturated and things happening fast and 15 minutes of fame is like a, it's a more real thing than it ever has been. And the people that last are the ones that present a great product at first, right? A Mm. brand. So if we even look at those brands, like, you know, a brand like Coke or Apple, the biggest ones we know when something new is in the marketplace, they have to compete with all these big people, right? But when it's really good, people pay attention or they buy in. And Ice Spice is literally my number one favorite example. I talk about her all the time. So hi, James. My name is always, mm-hmm. your name is always in my mouth and your artist is always in my mouth. Appreciate that. Um, because the product that she's delivered from inception of her career, and you're probably like, oh my God, this took a long time, but I'm going to tell you the perception of it is the reason why she has lasted as long as she has from that first song and people call it TikTok song, call whatever the fuck you want. Her brand is so strong. And at first it started with the hair, right? So you already have the visual brand identity. Mm. She's recognizable. Immediately you go, what is this? Hate it or love it. It's special. I never seen anything like it before. But then her cadence, she has a different cadence of rap than 
every rap girl that came out. So now your brand is offering something new and refreshing. She's already got her own language. So it's not like anybody wasn't saying like before, but now the way that she's done it yeah. is almost like that's her Meg at, that's her Rihanna A. It's like like, right? And the little da da da, I can't even do it. Like, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but on top of that, the way she takes pictures, she has a pose for how she takes pictures. So even with the, the tongue out, I go, okay, cool. That's Ice Spice's thing now. And then the way that you guys so carefully implemented all of those things into her first product. So the doll with the hair, the pose, you name the project like. I was like, what is this Coca-Cola, Oreo, (laughs) Apple level branding (laughs) that's going on here on top of the chain, right? I could go on and on for days, but if anybody ever questions why, you know, why she is on her third song or her project, or we're anticipating another project from her, it is because the brand identity that you guys like ushered in day one is so strong. I don't like to call artists products, but essentially you want me to buy in. You, mm. you want me to become a consumer of yours. So give me a good product. And, and iSpice is one of the best. So kudos to you. Hope I didn't take any of your answers, but you guys have... <laughs> I'm the a, brand analysis is on 10 over here. I'm over here looking at the notes. Like, did they send Amber the notes? Um, but because it's like, <laughs> because um, what you said is a perfect transition. You know, you're thinking about someone like Ice Spice. I, I think for some of us who've been around for a long time, or especially when you get into legacy artists, social media can sometimes feel like an additive. But Ice Spice from day one felt like her product was made exclusively and thoughtfully for social media. And I'm curious what sort of steps and conversations you've had with her and her team um, and what sort of internal dialogue you've had to, I don't want to say preserve her, but, you know, she fell in that spot on TikTok and everyone's like, all right, you know, you get that one hit wonder label, you get that be here, gone tomorrow. And you guys gave her longevity, but it's still, it's a longevity that still exists within the realm of social media. No, absolutely. I think, look, we have real conversations and, you know, I always come in with the approach of brand, right? Like you're a brand like this is, and when I met her, it was the hair, it was the tone. It was like, okay, she knows herself. She knows what she likes. So I think it's less is more, right? Mm. We, we don't saturate, right? At all. We we do things with intentions, right? Everything's intentional, um, strategic. And what I mean by strategic is like, all right, we have this cultural juice and we know that we're in a position where she has the look, she has the image, we don't want to keep pouring that cultural juice to any and everyone, right? Like how do it mutually beneficial and allow her to accelerate that growth in the market, right? So we look at these different things and we really try to like, okay, do it. It makes sense, right? She knows what she likes. She knows who she is. And that starts with, I think that's really what it starts with, an artist knowing who they are, right? Because then you're able to, okay, you don't like that. That's not true to you. We're not trying to figure things out and like making those mistakes. And it's okay to make mistakes, but it's not like we over here just doing any and everything and just making a whole bunch of mistakes where the brand can fall apart, right? And now people can't digest who you are and that allows the shit to be delayed, right? Mm. Um, So we really come in and really try to position it like it's any other brand. Like we're really trying to make sure that it stands out and people understand what this is and they can digest it. I'm curious for you all. Do you guys have moments where, like you said, Ice Spice came in and she knew who she was. But for, uh, and we can jump to you, Steve. Has there been a moment where there's someone just with such pure talent? But, you know, like you said, people are going from the bedroom to like, you know, to the main stage so quickly. That can be like a sort of whiplash personally or whiplash commercially to be like, hey, I have a talent clearly and I have a product people like. But I got to like learn myself and how that how that appears in a in a music marketplace. 
Yeah, you know, that's the difficulty in it, right? It's a challenge, but that's why you have, you know, people like us that try to help lead, guide, mentor, anything you want to call it, just to lead that person through that. And hopefully our experience and the things that we just been through as individuals and as professionals can give some insight to like what that process could be and giving them comfort on, you know, you could take your time in this space or these are some of the things you should really look to, especially when you're dealing with people who've never been in the record business or show business, because I feel like those two things are non-exclusive to each other, right? Learning both can be a very intense um, experience. Everybody has a different experience. Everybody comes from different backgrounds. Everybody has come up a different way. So, you know, you kind of, it's a case by case scenario, but overall, I just feel like um, it's always a challenge and, you know, you just got to be diligent about it. You know, I feel like you both have mentioned um, sort of taking your time and being thoughtful. But I also think about like the pace of social media and how there's just this factor that you can't control, which is an audience, right? Whether they appear, um, you know, social media back in the day might have been another platform or another means. Let's bring up like Baby Tate's like, uh, like, like, hey, Mickey, right? Richard and Bill Gates, kiss me wetter than Superior Lake. Take me on $100,000 dates and I don't even have to give a cake. He just called me baby, he don't call me Tate. Like that's a good example of having a moment where this song is catching life on TikTok. And did you ever feel like there were moments where you had to catch up to it or sort of shift things in your plan? Because this is something that's happening outside of you all, you know? The reason why I wanted to work with Tate (laughs) before the Hey Mickey thing happened, she made that real. Like, I'm like, this is why I believe in you because no, we didn't. Like (laughs) she, she is that, I won't even say next generation, but this generation artist who understands that on top of talent, this requires so much more, you know, that the internet is important with Hey Mickey, you know, LVRN, we had gotten, you know, lucky. I'll say we were blessed just before around um, like six months ago with uh, Summer Walker's song, Karma. That's a four-year-old song that was on Summer's first project. And I won't say that we relate to the game, but it was happening, happening, happening. And we were like, okay, like it's not stopping said, okay, cool. We're going to just deliver the sped up version of Karma and see what happens. And it was actually our good friends over at Spotify that told us, hey, you need to get this up on the platform because this is this is really happening. And you guys, Spotify actually has the the ecosystem to support sped up songs. We delivered it. And then we spent the last six months up until today, because Karma's at radio now, optimizing every platform, every channel owned and operated by Summer, every way that we could get people to treat Karma like it was a new song even re-delivering the entire last day of summer album all sped up to make sure that we were like, okay, if this is what y'all want, this is what y'all get. Tate is just like the perfect example of an artist that understands how much being an artist requires now. Talent, she can do that in her sleep. The real talent is promoting your own music, not getting tired of your music. I tell people all the time, you know how many times Usher had to perform? Yeah, you better post that damn song again. I mean, I love what you just said because I think one of my, my questions was sort of like, One, you know, artists are constantly thinking in the future and getting them to be able to live back in a song that they've done already. Maybe they are tired of it. But I think my bigger question was sort of like, you're watching this song reheat on the internet. And how do you, how do you own that when fans have a level of say in it, right? Like James or Steve, I'm curious for you guys, like, have you had moments like that where a song or part of the artist's brand was taking off independently of the artist? And there was a moment where you guys had to try to find a way to, to grab it back and own it and, and, and monetize or capitalize off of it. I'll leave it to James. You know, I'm sharing this experience with uh, with Amber on Tate, so uh, she mm. pretty much dialogued the first on the label <laughs> side. I mean, I think with Ice, I mean, look, everyone's seen where the Ice brand it was the 
the hair and everything was was separate from the music itself, right? It, it was a time in the beginning when Munch came out, it wasn't about the music. Bitch, I'm a baddie, I get what I want, like, you thought I was feeling you? No, I was feeling you. That nigga a munch. Nigga, either he ate it for lunch. Bitch, I'm a baddie, I get what I want, like, bitch, I'm a baddie, I get what I please. What we did on our end was just finding strategies to get her in these different ecosystems. If it was Spotify, if it was SoundCloud, like, how do we partner with these platforms to give it, give the music credibility, right? And just bring it back where, all right, we, we're going to find a way to make you guys believe and listen. You know, look, wherever the eyeballs at or the airs was, we wanted to be there, right? Mm. That was music focus outside of just social media. She's very engaged with social media, if it's Twitter, if it's Instagram. So it was just like, all right, those two platforms is cool, but let's, let's, how about Spotify? And how do we continue to just make moments there? There's a note about her and Twitter that I have to acknowledge is that, sure, it's like at the age she's at where her fan base is at, she doesn't actually technically need to be good at Twitter, right? Like there's enough audience everywhere else. But when I think the where the criticism would come for her would likely be on Twitter and you can't because she's, she's great at Twitter. She's like a great tweeter, which is like a weird thing to say about someone. But like her being in that space that almost feels like at times a forgotten area, it's made anyone else that would be a critic be like, yo, but that tweet's really funny and I kind of love her, you know? You guys keep talking about ecosystem, which I think is great. It's more than just like your artist living in a vacuum. Steve-O, for you, on the executive end, working with the label, there's a constant correspondence between you and managers. Can you sort of break down that relationship when it's working at its best? Like, what does a great harmony between management and the label look like? I think it's communication, right? Being a manager and also doubling as a, a senior leadership, you know, a lot of the nuances that come in just dealing with, you know, in the major label system and trying to curate and move a lot of talent, you know, that's on your roster versus managers that have a uh, and the artists have specific point of views. A lot of it's just communication for me. And I hope in my experience, and I'm lending a, a great bridge of conversation and dialogue that gets us to where we need to get to. As an exec, do you feel like there's a specific insight that because of the way in which you came up, you know, managing artists and the type of artists, do you feel like there's a specific insight that you bring to the table that other people might not get if they found a different road to executive? And you have to be like, hey, I'm from over here. Let me tell you what it's like on this side. Uh, 100%. I brag about it all the time. I'm very proud of what I've done and where I've come from. Um, and, you know, I, I like to look at myself as a unique person with a unique point of view, right? That can mm -hmm. help store, like, what I quantify as the future of the business, right? And when I'm with my label partners and I'm a manager, I'm looking for partnership. I'm looking for you to help me where I'm deficient and vice versa. In senior leadership at a record company, my job is really to educate the entire ethos on what's happening in real time with the artist, what's going on around it, the different platforms, um, how it trends, where it falls, and culturally what it means, right? Because there's a lot of disconnect. With me, it's a little different because I walk outside with everybody else and I'm in the scene and I'm in those backdoor conversations and I'm constantly trying to find ways. One, if I'm managing, I'm trying to move talent and create new ways to business develop. Or um, I'm just trying to make sure that the artists and manager are getting all that they need from the record company. Steve-O, you kind of hinted at it a little bit earlier, but um, I want to ask the group here, how would you describe the DNA for a good manager? Like what sort of, there's some skills you'll learn, but then there might be some like innate traits that you all have that make you all good uh, managers. You got to be able to be an engineer. What I mean by that is, is be able mm -hmm. to, you know, fix fix these problems, no fix, fix problems, right? It's like things are unscripted. You got to be calm in the storm. 
right? You gotta, you gotta have vision. Um, you gotta be selfless and you gotta have no, no ego involved, right? The ego can get in the way, you know, especially if you feel like you know more than the other. You know, I think those are the things that's needed, you know, to succeed in honesty. Most importantly, I always try to be honest, you know, if it's with my partner at the label, with my client or anybody in between and around is, is being honest. Selfless is a great one, uh, James. Uh, I would say you really like <laughs> uh, a lot of what a manager does is like you have to go fight for ridiculous things sometimes for your artists. Like if they have a crazy request and you're the person that has to go give it out, you got to go get it for them or go bring that, bring them back what they want and, and get it done in some way. And so knowing how to manage relationships is super important for a manager. You know, one day you wake up and, you know, somebody be like, oh, Amber's such a bitch. She, you know, she's doing this, she's doing that. She asked for that. And it's not me. I'd be like, my, my, my artist said, listen, Steve, listen, we, we got to get rap caviar. So what do you, what do you need me to do? <laughs> and, and, and my executive hat is like, ah, I, I know maybe this song isn't ready for rap caviar, but I got to go ask, right? Because I told my artist I'm going to ask. And so I got to go do it outside of this, you know, Steve and I have built a relationship and, you know, I think we both have a respect for each other throughout the industry. So he knows when I have my manager hat on, I'm coming to represent my manager. But on any other day, I make sure that we have a genuine relationship so that we're able to work together and you know who I really am and who I represent and that that's just today. Right. So Mm. just even when your artist is having one of those days, your job is to be their representative. And so you can't go make your artist's look crazy. You don't go and tell somebody like, oh, they have an attitude today. No, I have an attitude because they have an attitude. They're actually fine. Right. <laughs> so you kind of have to take on their, this character of them to make sure that you get done what they need or what they deserve or whatever the case is. And learning how to massage relationships, manage relationships as an artist is a, is a true skill. So people always just accept that you're being your artist representative and you're doing your job or your role, like Steve said earlier. Man, what you guys are talking about, like, I remember um, sort of early on in my version of what I'm doing now, like, I consider myself, like, when it comes to negotiations, like, I'm a shark. Like, I can, I'll, I'll get to where I want to go. And then I had management come in and was like, hey, great, you're a shark, but then you got to show up. So, you know, it's like, there's so many things that you guys are doing that protect talent, right? Whether, even if it's like, um, you're coming in and fighting on, on their behalf, but sometimes you're coming in there and keeping them from swinging too hard on their own behalf, right? It's like you guys are sort of doing this push and pull, which I think is something that talent sometimes, obviously the audience has their own conceptions about it, but talent can even have misconceptions. But I'm curious for each one of you, did you all have a misconception about the role of management or are you guys confronted with common misconceptions from outsiders about what you all do and what the job took? Every day in my life, every day (laughs) in my life, I've met with all kinds of, misconception. I, I spend literally half of my day between colleagues and, and artists and managers just explaining my personal experience and the wisdom that I've taken from the good and bad ones and try to give point of view or context to, you know, um, scenarios, situations on how we can do things that can debunk those misconceptions, right? So we meet those every day. That's just, that's really the name of showbiz, right? It's this great, polished, shiny thing that's high, a high pie in the sky that everybody somehow aspires to get to, not knowing that there's trillions of uh, trillions of trillions of steps to take to get to that mountain, an incredible amount of work and time and dedication and sacrifice that comes with it. So, you know, it depends on the day of the week, who it is, who I'm talking to, but every single day for me. Mm. I think there's a lot of misconception 
running around because management is one of those jobs now that everybody says they can do. Right. And so having been on all sides of the business, when I was at the label, I'm like, yo, your manager is ruining your career right now. Like it'll be a talent. I know the artist is talented. I've spoke to them. I know what they want to achieve. Like I'm like, yo, they're ready. And poor management can really, it it can really make or break an artist because that's your representative. So the Mm -hmm. artist isn't always on the call. The artist isn't always the one asking. It's somebody maybe being a little overzealous or thinks that like being rude is cute. And that's how you get things done. And they'll ruin the relationship with the label. So they're like, then people don't have to do nothing for you. It's 500 other artists up here. So if I can't have a good communication with your manager, like Steve said, on to the next Zoom call, you know, and management, like I said, all those skills that James and Steve-O just talked about, when you don't have them, that that is the misconception. There's a lot of people in those roles still with artists that you probably know and love, or you see a lot of artists changing their management in and out because they're being managed improperly. So I think misconceptions and inexperience is running rampant in the industry of artist management. And so I don't want to discourage any young people from getting into management, but I think they should ask more questions and, and ask for more help and listen to things like this that you guys are providing and be honest that you don't know. Like when I first started, I didn't know what I was doing. So I stopped doing it. Mm. Ask questions is like the realest shit ever. Like it sounds like super basic, but it's like the one thing that will unlock anything, anywhere. James, what about you? Like, is there misconceptions you had getting into the game or is there misconceptions you feel like you're confronted with about what you do? No, absolutely. I mean, look, I thought coming in, it was just more about scheduling and, you know, and being the best friend with the artists and all that and, you know, all that good stuff. But, um, you know, as I went on, I realized it's like it's it's, got to protect and serve, you know, Mm. and um, and that comes with honesty and that comes with truth and that comes to brutal truth, you know, and and you just got to be honest. And I I try to wake up every day and, and, you know, and be honest with my partners come in with, with that attitude and, um, and they, they can like it or not. And that's how I just take it on every day. It's just honesty and transparency. Just, you know, I like to sleep at night. So. Word. James, you obviously come from, you know, historic stock when it comes to management. Is there something that you pulled from sort of your, uh, your lineage, right? Like your father and being like, Hey, like I learned this and this is a tip I have just from like observation or, or presence and being around. Yeah, absolutely. I was definitely privy to deals and those conversations of how to approach deals, right? So when I was in high school and college, I used to just get on a computer because I didn't know, right? And my textbook was All You Need to Know About the Music Business by Don Passman, right? I had a phone number on him, but my thing was just like, all right, cool. This all sounds good, but I wanted to be hands-on. So I took it upon myself and I was able to have access to contracts. Okay, this is what a deal looks like. All right, what do that mean? Let me Google that. Okay, this is what this other deal looks like. Huh, interesting. What do that mean? So I'm forever a student. And I feel like when you get into this business, you got to be be able to be a student. No matter what you achieve, you got to be able to just be a sponge. So yeah, I was privy. I definitely was taking notes and had access to contracts. I was able to, you know, just really understand it from top to bottom. So now I'm in a place where I'm always have a lawyer by my side, but I can negotiate for myself, right? And for our, our artists. And um, I know how to get the best type of deal for the, for our artists. You get what I'm saying? And I know how to get creative, right? So like with Ice, you know, I knew that coming in before we had Munch, we made our rounds, but I knew that 
we wasn't going to get the best deal, but I wanted her to meet and see the difference mm. between, you know, X, Y, and Z. This is this, that, and the third. Let them see. I want her to see how they treat her then, right? And then I said, okay, let me put a, let me use this record as currency, right? And use it for marketing and blow it up in the market. And then let's go back to those same people so you can see the difference, <laughs> right? So much of what you guys are talking about is sort of, um, you know, I think when you, uh, as an outsider might think of a management, sometimes you look at it as sort of like the professor that knows it all. But what you guys are talking about is like, you guys are constantly studying. You guys are constantly observing. Is there a moment that you guys can look back on in your careers and be like, this is like, th- this moment taught me a ton about management. So for instance, it might be like, whether you work on the label side or you might've crashed out on a project and saw what went wrong or whatever it is, but is there a moment you can look back and be like, you know what? Or I was around this person. This, this gave me a lot of game and, and this is what I learned. Everywhere I've been able to go, any experience, you know, like being able to be a part of different kinds of projects, whether they be podcasting, TV, film, content, music, you know, all those different iterations through management have taught me different things about those sectors of the business. When I met Ebony Ward, Eb, Mm. the boss, that was when I really realized that like to be in management, you have to love with no understatement. You have to love your clients. You have to love what you do. You have to truly like have love across the board for for everything that you touch. The way that she works with her clients, you know, her with Future, with Gunna, even with Flo Millie now, she will work herself to death to make sure that everything happens for them. She is like an absolute powerhouse. And so while there were things that I was doing at the label, me getting back into management, I had to remember the things that were most important. So even when I was doing management before, I was working with K-Camp and I was working with Mike Will and those are my friends. I love them. So it took nothing for me to go out of my way for them because I would do it for them out of love. Then when you get into it and you're managing somebody for money or you're managing something because it's hot and you don't really care about it, me personally, I'm going to have a miserable experience because I don't care. My heart's not in it. The passion's not in it. And so me revisiting management right now, I keep Ebony in mind and how she's able to work like that. And so like my management company is with five people that I've known for 12 plus years. Mm. I love all of them, all the guys at LVRN and the staff that we have and the artists that I chose to bring. The co-manager is someone I've known since my first year in college. And Tate, I love her. I love her talent. I love her potential. I love everything about what she's trying to build, her music. And so now this thing that seemed so horrible to me before (laughs) at one point in my career, it makes me happy. I want to get up and do it every day. I want to talk to her. I want to help her succeed. And I want to work with these people because I really love them. So like business, the management business isn't business. It's very personal. It is very, very personal to be a manager because if you don't care about your client and their goals and their success, you're not going to want to get up every day and and take the crazy requests, the ridiculousness, the days that they don't have it in them and you have to like shake them up to get something done for them, to make content from the stupidest thing to the biggest thing. I, I just try to move with love and management now. And Ebony taught me that because I've never seen a woman, I haven't seen anybody, not a woman, anybody work as hard as she does for her clients. Um, and I know that's what it is. Damn. I remember um, like rising at Complex and be like, okay, like I got this figured out. Like I'm, I'm the guy or whatever the fuck. And then I switched industries and I went to podcasting, right? And like every time I made a switch, I kept thinking I could pour it in everything from where I was and just be like, this is who I'm. So I'm now I'm the top of this field. And the first time I stepped in front of a podcast, Mike, it was like brutal. Like it was like, like it was so bad. And I'm like, yo, I 
I'm still talking. Why is it so bad? And they like, yo, it sounds like you're reading the weather. Like it's really, it's really horrible. And I had to sort of understand that like points of transition for myself for constantly moments where like, chances are I might be starting at the bottom again. So even if I, if I'm not, if I can go in there thinking this is a point of transition, um, it actually softens my landing and gives me a lot more room to move. And I cue that up to ask you guys, is there a notable moment um, in your time as management that you've seen the game change and you had to transition, whether that's adjusting to the streaming industry or um, the way in which artists and fame is consumed? Is there something that's changed in the industry that you all have noticed, like, man, I got to switch and I, I can remember switching? I think the most defining time is, is really I'm at the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, when we all were forced to be home. We watched the entire business take a seismic shift, right? And what happened was, you know, in hindsight, everyone was home. So everyone had to find new ways to be creative. You know, we're all people that are outside continuously on the go. Our artists are on the go. They make their lives from being outside and, and, and creating lifestyle. And then now we're relegated to our homes with our families trying to be safe. And that that was the first time I saw a change in how we had to approach the landscape, right? We had to be more respectful. And I think, I think the business as a whole became more sensitive to artists and what that artistry meant. And the industry, mm. the industry had to find new ways to kind of, you know, everyone says like, hey, you know, the record companies make more money because they're paying less than this and less than that. And while albeit that is on paper true, um, there's still a lot that you lose and missing the experience of how you actually build these things. Like we're humans. This is a social business. This is a relationship business. You go out, you meet, talk, you socialize, you hang out, you party, you watch performances. And artists didn't have that opportunity for almost two years. That part became difficult. And, I, and just the shift of how we, how we respect artists and how we look at them and, and also how we onboard them and do business with them. I feel like that was a moment that kind of changed and, turn the business on its head and we're still living in the new shifts and transitions of it now, even post-pandemic wise, right? I will say that the shift is happening for me like right now or over the last, you know, six to eight months as a manager or as a label, there is so many more opportunities to create new revenue streams for your artists. Um, you know, we went from, you know, CDs to the streaming business um, and even being fortunate to have worked at Spotify before I saw the huge gap in what people understood about streaming, whether that be the labels, the artists, everybody mm. didn't really get it. And Spotify at the time had been around for almost eight years and people didn't really get it, right? And now in this post TikTok era, music is truly timeless now. Everybody thinks, hey, Mickey, that tape made it yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, y'all don't even rap like that no more. No, like she made it six years ago, but to somebody it's new. And that's what I think the dream for music has always been. We only talk Damn. about Michael Jackson as timeless music, right? Yeah. But now I Spice, it, it, catalog is 18 months ago now. When you used to say the word catalog, you would think, oh, a song made 20 years ago. I yeah. Spice's catalog is much. Now she has catalog. Catalog Tate's catalog is Hey Mickey. And now the kids have finally realized this special thing where like this, this app that they pay for Spotify, it actually has every song ever made in the world. They didn't really get it before TikTok, which is crazy to me. You have access to every song ever made. And it doesn't matter what the date says on the bottom. Y'all should actually take that off. Like, <laughs> If you like the song today, it can be hot today. It doesn't matter. And so what I'm learning now is the products that we can produce on the artist pages. Before we would say, okay, the artist page, you just have to put the album up and that's it, right? 
Well, mm. now I can put the album up. I can put the sped up album up. I can put smaller products up. I can do a product of bass boosted sped up. For a second, we were all believing or the labels had us believe, whoever it was, I'm not pointing any fingers, that we can only put up one product or the product that they said. The artist has the power to put up whatever product they want, however they want their music to be heard, however many times they want, however many versions. And now everybody's starting to understand that. And it's one, creating a totally new revenue stream for your artist. So when you say, oh, it's TikTok stealing from the artist, these original sounds, they're illegal. You're robbing yourself if you don't listen to what the fans want and go put it somewhere where it can be discovered. They didn't steal nothing from you. They created something and you don't know how to capitalize off of it. That's the gotcha. 100%. Damn. I agree. Too much money out here. It's the money is on the table. The opportunity for the <laughs> artists on the table. I'm not going to complain about TikTok. We don't make this money is what we're talking about right now. <laughs> what the fuck? I need sped up podcasts. I need to get on this shit. Um, <laughs> James, James, what about you? Is, is there a point of, um, is there a transition point, something that you experienced, whether it's the industry or internally, and you were like, yo, I, like, this is, this is drastically different than maybe where I started. I mean, I mean, look, Amber, I, I think we should end that topic with Amber. But <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, look, when I, you know, to hit on the head with, with the catalog and that becoming, you know, a new thing within TikTok, like fans making it new. I, I, I remember managing Sean Kingston and, um, and what I was seeing was his first album, you know, Beautiful Girls, if it was any, many or fire burning, how many times it was coming back to a trending page on TikTok, right? 10 years later. And I think another thing is e-commerce, right? Building businesses. I think you see someone like Rihanna and Fenty where it's, it's, you know, it's, it's no more selling. You can really build multi-million dollar businesses, not only just merch, but it's turning into like an actual clothing brand, right? You're, you're yeah. building something where now you, you're dealing with equity, right? You're dealing with real, you know, profit and losses when it comes to a whole e-commerce side and you're dealing with investors and venture capitalists, right? And I think a lot of these things are starting to become more in the forefront that it wasn't before. So I, I'm seeing that now where people want to own their masses, not because they know exactly what to do with it, with the rights and so on and so forth, but because of the, the multiples, you know, years, years, you know, later. You know, I'm thinking about just the artists where it's like, you can obviously think um, catalog is for legacy artists. You know, I'm obviously thinking very much about Nip when we're talking about that, but it's also for contemporary and current artists as well. Do you guys think, especially for you on the label side, Steve, I'm curious, do you guys, is catalog here to stay? I think so. I think this is the era of, like we all talking about in the shift, I think this is the era of making the most engaging catalog for your fans that you can make, right? There's no one place to see anything anymore. There's so many ways, so many spaces, so many opportunities, and there's no longer one curated way across the board like it was maybe even 10 years ago to do so. So I yeah. agree. I think that the word catalog or just um, or, or be able to b build something that your fans really and truly love. I think that um, today, I don't know what it's going to be tomorrow, but today to me feels like the best way to go because um, you can make the most amazing career out of just making what's true to you and, and, and feeding your audience. With that said, do you guys feel like, especially as managers that are stewarding a brand and also reply, responding to your artists' desires, impulses, creative ideas, is there more creative freedom that you guys are, like, do your artists have more creative freedom in a marketplace that's this wide? Or is it actually, is it less because you have to talk to so many people? Like, which way does it go? Or can it go anyway? I think the artists have more creative freedom. And it's our job as managers to help them understand how free they can be. 
right? Mm. There are no rules anymore. Like people can say that there are, but there's, there's not, right? And there's too many case studies now for you to feel boxed in. So before when it was like so taboo to release a song on your own, Brett Baez put out Gravity on SoundCloud like a year ago. It might have been two years ago. And then he still put it on an album that went number one. So it didn't matter that people had heard it already on SoundCloud. They still streamed it. They still loved it. He was so able to make that part of a body of work, right? People even saying like, oh, my music leaked. Oh, my God, it's the end of the world. No, it's not. Literally, when when Harry Styles' album leaked, his fans were like, y'all do not listen to that leaked version. (laughs) Do not disrespect him, right? Because fans are smart and they actually do want to support their favorite artists. They, they They are so... They're so tapped in like that they won't even do the wrong thing and get that instant gratification for themselves. They want to hear it the way the artist intended. That's a beautiful thing. That's Mm. a beautiful creative freedom. Um, And while we're talking about management, what I said before, the managers have more creative freedom than we ever have before. Because when you talk about creative, it's just about what the artist is making and when they're putting it out. We get this opportunity to strategize on all these new revenue streams, different marketing initiatives, ways to get our artists seen and heard in a creative way. A lot of the stuff that James was talking about that they're doing for ICE, like with her merch and just making sure that the brand is really where it needs to be. But like, I'm, it's so fun right now. It's like a playground that I can like nerd out about because anything's possible. And the catalog business is a business. Like that's what I'm, your last question is what I'm most excited about. Like any artist that has a catalog, I want to know how you're now repackaging it for the anniversary. What new merch can you put out? The Spice Girls just came back. And did a whole thing. I was a I was a Spice Girl. I'm excited. I'm here. Twenty years ago, sign me up, right? What do tours look like now? How can people get together? SZA has a song on Control called Wavy that's not finished. If in ten years SZA puts out Wavy with the second verse, I'm going crazy. Mm. I'm going ham, and her catalog is going to be something new because I've been waiting ten years for this. So like, wink, wink. I'm telling. I'm saying we want it. <laughs> But she left this little like gold mine here unfinished for something that can help keep her name, keep her as a legacy artist 10 years from now. So I think people should take catalog much more serious. And I think managers should have a much more fun time figuring out how we can really create things for our artists and revenue streams and opportunities and just like have fun doing it now because it's like a playground. So much of what you guys are talking about is that you guys can really play past or present. Uh, you guys can play across industries, across platforms, across mediums. Um, you guys are making this sound very attractive. Like, it sounds like the shit. Uh, I think my my final question for you guys is, um, you know, Amber, you kind of, you hinted at catalog, but like, where are you guys most interested? Like, wh- where do you guys have your eyes on in the industry? Is it sort of the intersection of, you know, like, it sounds weird to say, but like, how much more you, you find rap in commercial films, right? Is it, you know, um fashion or the intersection of tech like where are you guys sort of interested is, is there a region that you guys think is about to explode like you guys see into the future and we sort of live in the present so for you all what are you guys most excited about in the near future um as it relates to management and artists i'm very excited about the new generation of kids like all the new teenagers especially out of like new york city um, I'm really into the, the scenesters, like the new kids, the new kids on the block, because my age group has been force fed so many iterations of what hip hop is to be, the misogyny in it, the, the fears, the nuances. And, and I think in this era, this is the first time that, you know, these kids have creative freedom to explore across any genre of music that they want to and make it their own. And it's still hip hop. Mm. And that part is really exciting for me because there's so much 
of the unknown that can be explored. And there's so much innovation that's taking place and where that can go and how that spreads between TV, film and the different content verticals and uh, fashion and, and just culture as, as a whole. Like that thing, that w- that's what really gets me out of bed every morning. And it's super exciting. And I think it's like you were just saying before, it's like there's no exciting place more to be than the record business right now. It's exciting. It's influential. It's hip. It's edgy. You could be from the bottom and you see yourself at the top. And I think that's the dream, right? Yeah. James, what about you? I mean, me personally, I, I'm excited for like for the future of artists building businesses. Right. I, I think that Gen Z are now thinking, how can I build a business outside of just what I'm doing as an influencer, as a musician? How can I build, you know, these vertical businesses? They're talking like that now. And they're 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 trying to find partners who understand them. So I like that. Me being a nerd in business, I, I like stuff like that. So I think we're gonna start seeing a lot of Gen Z you know, quickly becoming rich and building big businesses. And um, yeah, and I, I like that. So that I, I'm excited for that. And I, and I hope I can continue to find quality artists that I can, you know, build businesses with, be that partner. And um, so I love, you know, what Jay Brown and the Rihanna's is doing um, and as many more. So, yeah. And Amber, you talked about catalog, but um, what else? Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for the role that context is going to continue to play in building artists and building songs. Like the reason why TikTok works for music is because it contextualizes the song for you. So a song that you didn't even know what it meant before, or, you know, maybe you didn't like it, but now there's this trend that makes, that gives it context. So like Mariah, the scientist spread thin. Well, if you didn't like that song before, like that's fine. But now there's this trend where people have said, here's my life story. Something crazy happened in my life. This, my boyfriend broke up with me. Then this happened. Then this happened. But you know what? I made it out on the other side and I'm still good. And then it goes, oh, spread thin means something else to me now because I have a story too, right? So then this song blows up because it has context. Uh, Running Up That Hill, song was out for a long time, but then it gets put into Stranger Things and the scene that it's in gives that song context. So the song's more important. There's a bunch of kids that didn't know the song I Got Five on it before it was in Get Out, right? And so that contextualized that song. It's like, yo, this is a crazy little craziest horror song I've ever heard in my life. And there's all the, Rihanna is able to do her makeup company because her career has given her context for why she cares about inclusivity and why she would be the person that's like, here's makeup for every skin type, right? Context is everything. And so I'm figuring out how to build it faster, how to make sure that people get it, how to find it, how to take, like, how to take advantage of it when it's the kids, this next generation Steve was talking about that finds it. But you can't just put something out there and expect people to get it anymore. Hope like throwing spaghetti on the wall and hope, hoping it sticks. So I, I really want to uh, even context with catalog like Spice Girls means something to me. You know what I'm saying? So like I'm the audience. So they have that context. And if you were born in the '90s, you're gonna love this. This concert's gonna sell out. So I really want to figure out the ways to turn that concept on its head and be able to take advantage of it to benefit the artist brands, to benefit businesses like James is talking about. And really make sure that the brands understood, felt, and loved by the consumer because they get it, like for real. It's implemented in their life. Man, these are these are my favorite conversations. Obviously, you know, I love talking with all of your artists, but these are my favorite conversations because it's just free game. Like, you know, you can take this and apply it to your life if you're living in the role I'm living in, or if you're a kid, like literally making TikTok videos. The way you guys are um thinking about 
sure, these artists as brands, but you guys are still talking a ton about uh, human, like treating them as humans, a ton about pivoting and thinking and researching in real time is, um, I don't know. I don't know the best way to describe it, but it's clearly very alive to you all. When people are talking the way you guys are talking, it makes my brain just like click and go off in a thousand directions. And I just also, I just steal game. Like this has been one of those ones where like, I hope if you're listening, like it's okay to run it back and take some notes. Thank you guys for this. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we want to thank our guests again. And that's it for this week's episode of the Rap Caviar Podcast. Make sure you follow and hit the bell to stay up to date. We'll see you guys next week.